Uh, the reason I contacted that is Jonas, uh, as I wrote in the email, is that one of uh, my listeners contacted me and said that you have to talk to Thomas because I used his therapy and I got uh, clear from uh, what type of cancer was this? Uh, was it a uh, lymph cancer or something? Uh, and he used your uh, your program and he's he's fine. So uh, that's the reason that I found out about you. <laughs> yeah. So it clear, so it clearly works. <laughs> yeah. Well, it works, and it's even more. Um, it's astonishing how well it works. I, I I I don't hear from a lot of people. It doesn't work for everybody. Let's be honest. But there's a lot of people that it does work for, and it can work even better once we once we have all the details. It's going to work even better. But how did you stumble over stumble over this? Uh, oh, stumble we, we, over. Didn't, we didn't really stumble <laughs> on it. You know, we, we came to know. Um, you know, you you work in the in the lab and you observe things for decades and you start to put pieces of the puzzle together. Mm. And the next thing you know, um, you can understand the, the mechanisms of action and you can test them and you can show that these are valid. For the people that do not have heard about you before, what's your research? What's your research? What's oh, your topic? Well, the topic is we is the metabolic management of cancer is the is the focus that we have now. So yeah, that's that's sort of the the current theory around cancer that it's, it's a metabolic disease, uh, mitochondrial function, um, and also that that you know cancer cells will grow uh, in excess of everything, sugar, amino acids, growth factors, and as I understand it, your your primary focus is is looking at uh, glucose and, and glutamine as as the primary fuels for cancer cells and how you can deprive cancer cells of those fuels and and thus achieve um, uh, a cure basically well i don't know about a cure but i but i think we can achieve long-term management um, right. okay uh, and the, the key is can can the goal is it, the, our goal is to achieve long-term management without toxicity mm-hmm. that's the challenge that's the goal we have set for ourselves um, whether whether or not that leads to a cure is uh, is not yet known, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think it would be on the right path. But I will not say that this therapy that we developed can cure cancer. Uh, all I can say is that we think this therapy can provide much longer progression-free survival with high quality of life. Right. I, I think that's that's um, that's what we're we're striving for. And mm-hmm. if it does lead to a cure, uh, that all that's well and good, but um, I can't make a, a blanket statement that my that our that our metabolic therapy can cure cancer, but I think it can do a hell of a lot better than any of the other therapies that are currently being used. Yeah, uh, why is that, Thomas? Well, first of all, we're targeting the fundamental problem of the disease, um, and that is an ener- it's an energy destabilization disease. So we have found that. All, uh, most, if not all, cancer cells have defect in their mitochondria, either the number, the structure, or function. Mm-hmm. A, a fundamental principle of biology is that structure determines function. This is a, a foundational principle in the field of biology. And when you look at the organelle that's responsible for the metabolic homeostasis of the cell and the body in general, and that organelle is dysfunctional in, in a number of different ways, but yet the cell survives, then you have to say, how does the cell survive when its very source of, of uh, efficient energy is compromised? 
-hmm. And that goes back to the fact that there's only two major ways to get energy, oxidative phosphorylation or substrate level phosphorylation, which is an ancient metabolic pathway that existed before oxygen came into the atmosphere. And we found, and others have found, Warburg first, that uh, cancer cells use uh, substrate level phosphorylation for generating energy. It's either in the cytoplasm, which was referred to as aerobic glycolysis or the Warburg effect, or now that we and my, my colleague uh, Christos Shinopoulos at Semmelweis University, we have defined uh, that, that there is a fermentation of amino acids in the mitochondria uh, and predominantly glutamine. So um, that's called mitochondrial substrate level phosphorylation. And that's a recognized biochemical principle that has been overlooked by, the, by almost the entire cancer field. As for the reasons, the causes of cancer, I mean, it's, it's, it's spanning from yeah, stress, it's, uh, your, you know, circadian rhythms being desynchronized, it's, it's EMFs, it's environmental toxins, mm. but also foods. And yeah. uh, again, referring back to my work with Pelomenesina, um, where they're actually using the foods, i.e. meat and, and fats, as, a, as, well, not a cure, but a way to... Um, to to sort of sustain this disease or hold it back, and whereas in the news and the media, meat and eggs is what's causing cancer. How how can that be? Um, well, can you yeah. how can you reconcile that? Well, I, I think as I as I've shown in in my book and papers, you're 100 percent correct. I mean, cancer can be caused by so many different different kinds of things. I mean, we've recognized or. Uh, others have recognized that some of these processed meats contain carcinogens, right. uh, mm -hmm. certain nitrates and things like that, and they damage mitochondrial respiration. Mm -hmm. So we, I went through the list of so-called carcinogens, um, and, and all of these carcinogens, uh, in some way or another, damage the efficiency of oxidative phosphorylation. Mm -hmm. So, um, And as Warburg said, if the damage is too acute, the cell dies and you'll never get cancer. But if the if the if the chronic if it's a chronic uh, disruption, then the cell has the capability of upregulating a fermentation pathway, and that upregulation of fermentation is driven by oncogenes. So uh, the oncogenes are transcription factors for fermentation pathway. So they they come on only after mitochondrial respiration has been compromised. So you can compromise mitochondrial respiration by various roots of carcinogens, viral infections, systemic inflammation, radiation, uh, age, uh, hy uh, intermittent hypoxia. All, all of these kinds of, of, of disturbances can uh, cause a chronic disruption of energy in a certain population of cells. Now, there are some cells that rarely, if ever, become cancerous, like neurons of the brain or cardiomyocytes of the heart and certain muscles, because they can't live without oxidative phosphorus. They're incapable of sustaining a, 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 a permanent fermentation metabolism, so they die. But many other cells in our body, most of the organ cancers and things like that, they all have the capacity to upregulate fermentation. Therefore, they have the capacity to become cancer, whereas some other cells in our body don't have the capacity. Hmm. So, so what can a, like a normal person do nowadays to, I mean, because it seems like everything causes cancer these days, and, and by the sound of it, there are many things that can go wrong. So. Uh, what, what can, I mean, is a vegan diet the, the answer? Is a low-carb or ketogenic di diet the answer? Do you sort of stop, have to stop using shampoos? I mean, what, what can like a normal person do to um, 
make the best effort of yeah. prevention counseling. Well, now this you're talking now about prevention. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the knowledge that cancer can be caused by, uh, that, that cancer arises only in cells with compromised metabolism, um, and how you reduce that, you know, you, you try, like we, we all live in a risk, in a, in a high risk environment. Um, you know, some people are exposed to more air pollutants than others. Other people are exposed to more foodborne uh, uh, carcinogens than others. Um, you know, we all live in a risk, a risk rich environment um, that could potentially trigger cancer. I, I think that uh, periodic fasting is a great way to jack up the function of your mitochondria. It's hard to do. I'm not saying these things are easy. I'm no. not going to say, hey, I tried fasting. <laughs> it's easy. No, it's not easy, I'll tell you. You know, um, try not eating food for three or four days. Just drink water. I mean, it's, it's hard. People will say you got to be nuts. And, and um, you know, my argument is is that, okay, um, these you asked me how you protect your mitochondria. This is one of the ways. Yeah. No, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is some people are taking um, certain forms of ketone esters. Um, these will help. Like if, uh, what we've learned is that when we transition people to water-only fasting, we do it first by transitioning from regular uh, high-carb foods to low-carb foods first, and then ketone supplementation, and then water-only fasting. And the transition is so much easier than if you try to go cold turkey. You're yeah. eating high carbs one day, and the next day you're not eating anything. So, hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. But we're, we're, we're geared. Because the brain is glucose-addicted in most societies. You know, if you're in China, you're, you're eating rice. And, and, and if you're in Germany, you're eating potatoes. I mean, if you're in Italy, you're eating pasta. So uh, the, the issue is that all of our societies have are carb-heavy. And as soon as you break that carb-heaviness, you have withdrawal symptoms. And uh, the with, it's like withdrawing from any any addictive substance. Uh, the issue is that our bodies have evolved over millions of years to be keto adapted. So uh, we're all here today speaking because our our ancestors were able to survive famines. <laughs> we're supremely yeah. we're supremely geared for for famine, but that that doesn't exist too much anymore in most of our Western societies. And we're carb heavy, and we produce obesity, systemic inflammation. And all of this kind of stuff damages restoration in a certain population of cells in a particular organ, thereby putting you at risk for cancer. Hmm. I mean, this is not a complicated problem. Yeah. Um, the, 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 it's not complicated to understand the origin. It's a, and it's not complicated to understand what you should do. The hardest part is actually doing it. <laughs> so it's three to four days with fasting. Yeah, well, you know, young people can do it so much easier than older people, too. I tried on my students. You know, they can do four, five, six days. I, I thought, I think I might be dead after six days. But I won't be dead. <laughs> but it's it's going to be, it's too, it's too. The older you get, you try it and see. You tell me what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you I know. agree completely. It's something about building resilience through yeah. uh, exposing yourself to nature, uh, through cold thermogenesis, um, oh, yeah. fasting, and also going through periods. I, I prefer to sort of eat according to the seasons, meaning that through the winter time when it's also cold, I prefer to eat like lower carbs because in nature. Uh, fruits and starches wouldn't be as available, so I prefer to eat high proteins and fats during the winter, and then yeah. during the summer when it's you know higher temperatures and, and sunlight, then I eat more like fruits. 
and, that and makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. sense. So you, so you yeah. sort of never adapt to a single type of diet or way of eating. And so yeah, you know, this is the this is the way everyone should eat all the time. I, I just don't believe that's even feasible or possible. No, but I agree with you 100%. I think your strategy is a very logical one. I mean, it's the first I've heard of it, but I certainly think that this would be a very, this is uh, very consistent with our past. Um, you know, but right now, you know, Western civilization, we put uh, fast food, high carb stations almost on every corner. Mm, yeah. uh, and, um, and, and they're designed uh, by, by um, uh, flavors and, and, and flavor scientists to be as as tasty as they possibly can be, yeah, you know. Right. There's there's a group of scientists that I know that work on scents and flavors and all this kind of stuff, and they've engineered these foods to be absolutely delicious. Yeah. Um, and it becomes hard not to say, okay, I'm not going to have this delicious donut today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And again, it's like the conspiracy theorists that they claim that well, the food industry is out to get us or out to kill us. But I'm, I'm I mean. These people are also humans, and they don't want yeah. to buy themselves, but they want to earn money. That's their primary. Well, that's and then yeah, they leave the responsibility to the consumer to actually. Right. Well, and you're absolutely right, and that comes back to a fundamental human issue of personal discipline. Yeah. And um, and as you all know, personal discipline can be fleeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so motivation is a shiny car. Yeah, right, yeah. right. You know, you, you wear down after a while. Yeah. But um, but when we try to manage cancer, you see, we, there's a, another level of motivation because these people want to live. You know, mm. you're not talking about to satiate their sweet tooth. Um, but you know, a lot of these guys they will embrace uh, this discipline uh, because basically they want to live. Mm. And we we're trying to give them the tools. And knowledge to help them do that. So the glucose ketone index calculator, uh, or the index, allows the patient to know whether or not they're in therapeutic ketosis. Hmm. And uh, this is a simple biomarker. It requires, you know, a drop of blood from the finger. But you know, there are meters now available that can measure both glucose and ketones in the same meter. Yeah. Uh, and they're being designed to give you. You push the button, and you're going to get your GKI. And this motivates people now to say, oh, you know, I need to get down to 1.0 or below, but it's so hard. But they struggle, they struggle and struggle. And eventually they get down there and they feel a, a massive degree of accomplishment in having achieved uh, this level. And they have the proof to show. They have the hard evidence to show. So it's a challenge to the patient, but it's also a challenge that they, many of them embrace, you know. you know. But many it of them should be important. So I... Like what about the glutamine pathway? I mean, you're, you're basically, you need to fuel uh, your body with proteins and fats to achieve ketosis. And thus, you have, a, I mean, is uh, are drugs the only solution to, to, uh, to address that pathway? Yeah, well, that's in our big paper that we just published in Communication Biology mm -hmm. uh, and in my former Press Pulse paper. Mm -hmm. uh, I, just, I read it. That's yeah. what I to Yeah, the, the glutamine issue has to be pulsed. Uh, glutamine is one of the most it is the most abundant amino acid in the body, mm -hmm. and it's involved in so many important biophysical processes: the urea cycle, the gut uh, function of the gut. Also, most of our immune cells take in a large amounts of glutamine to do their normal biological function. Mm -hmm. So you cannot be too aggressive in how you're targeting glutamine because then you risk harming 
uh, the normal components of our body that are going to be required for the healing process. So that's the that's one of our big strategies right now. How we can choke down the glucose pretty effectively uh, because the cells don't need it as long as they're transitioned to ketones. And then once the patient is in therapeutic ketosis, then we pulse uh, experiment with these procedures on their patients, mm. knowing how far we can go with a glutamine targeting drug, how we have to back off. You know, uh, supporting what we did in the preclinical studies, we can now move forward in the patients. And yeah. more and more different kinds of glutamine drugs are being developed. Uh, and we have to validate whether these are going to be successful in managing cancer. We know now from our big paper that we published that a patient that is in therapeutic ketosis, this facilitates the delivery of the glutamine drug on target, which is very interesting. So we think most of the, I think the, the, the basic platform is going to be therapeutic ketosis, then followed by a strategy of low-dose drugs that will degrade slowly uh, the, the ability of these tumor cells to survive and grow, and then eventually degrade the, the tumor in, in, in a slow but steady fashion while maintaining the health and vitality of all nor, or organ systems. This mm. is important. Yeah. So... so in other words, the patient will emerge from the therapy healthier than when they started. Um, what we're finding is many cancer patients are imbalanced in many, many different ways. Some have type 2 diabetes. There's triglyceride elevations. There's all kinds of metabolic imbalances. Oh, and they also have metastatic cancer or something like this. Yeah. So, so the process is to correct all those imbalances while at the same time logically and strategically degrading the tumor and doing it so we don't harm the normal systems. This is a great challenge, but mm. it can be done because we have the plan. So yeah. um, it's not like it's space science or anything. We don't have to develop anything more. We have most of the tools already available. It's just that people don't know how to use these tools for the effective management of the disease. What kind of cancers do, do this work for, Thomas? I think they work for all cancer. I mean, we haven't found a cancer yet that has a normal number and structure of mitochondria. So every cancer is a fermentive. So this is what uh, people are baffled by, because they've been led to believe, based on the gene theory, that uh, cancers are a hundred different diseases, all having different. That's all based on a on the misinformation from the gene theory. Okay, yeah. when you look at cancer as a genetic disease, it's hopelessly complex. Hopelessly complex. When you look at it as a metabolic disease, it's basically a simple disease. They're fermenting. There's only two primary fuels to ferment: glucose and glutamine. So if you pull the plug on those strategically, you can essentially manage the disease without toxicity. Hmm. Now, before anyone just starts doing a keto diet as a lifestyle habit, just to sort of prevent cancer, are, are there any reasons why they shouldn't, basically? I mean, should is, is like the ketogenic diet, the, uh, the yeah. perfect human diet? Do you think? Well, you know, we didn't get in, into this um, to set up, um, a lifestyle. But, you know, since the, the field is now progressing, I see more and more of this. Um, there's a lot of people out there uh, using the GKI to say, oh, look at my GKI. It's so low. I'm so fit. I can do this and that. And these guys don't have cancer. They're just, uh, they just want to be more healthy. Yeah. And a lot of people are using these keto things for losing weight, mm. um, you know, just to say, oh, I can lose a lot of weight with keto. You know, um, I'm not really too... I don't really engage too much in that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, you know, we got a bigger, bigger fish to fry in this whole yeah, yeah. thing. Um, and, um, um, but I don't want the, the diet. Uh, it's, and, and the other thing too, is the term diet has been a turnoff for the whole field. 
mm. uh, of yeah. cancer because the word diet has always been some sort of a, um, a provocative term that means we really don't have any idea what the hell you're doing. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so um, uh, a, a, a physician from, from Berlin, uh, Sebastian Winter, uh, coined the term keto keto metabolic therapy ketogenic metabolic therapy is kmt that mm. takes the word diet mm. uh, out of the out of the equation here because mm. now we have biomarkers to know whether a person can be in therapeutic ketosis mm. and how you get into therapeutic ketosis can be many different ways not there's many different kinds of diets mm. that can bring you into therapeutic ketosis so it's the idea is are you in kmt are, are you are you in therapeutic ketosis so uh, that that's just um, you know one one way of doing this. Mm. Should we do the intermediate fasting? You think uh, for the people well, that do not have cancers? Yeah, but you go to do intermediate fasting and see what your GKI is. Um, you know, uh, mice and humans are very different. You know, uh, you know we can get in the mice can get into therapeutic ketosis in a, with a forty percent calorie restriction. Humans we have to get a water only fasting because of differences in basal metabolic rate. So if you do intermittent fasting, yeah, intermittent fasting, people think 18 or 20 hours of fasting. No, 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 you gotta go three days, do it three days. That's what I call intermittent fasting. You want the benefits? Yeah, you gotta get into therapeutic ketosis. So um, look at your GKI and tell me what your GKI is, and then I'll tell you whether you're in therapeutic ketosis. So, um, but anyway, I mean, there's a lot of ways to get there, but all of these different ways will make your mitochondria healthy and thereby uh, prevent cancer. And if you do have cancer, you're enhancing the health and vitality of your normal cells while putting tremendous metabolic pressure on the tumor cells. So, and then we use drugs to just to push those cancer cells out of existence. What do you do daily, Thomas, to, to prevent the cancers? Well, um, you know, I... I I, I don't eat for breakfast. You know, I, I do exercises. You know, I, I do what I what I think I can do. But um, sure, I drink a beer occasionally. I'll drink whiskey. Um, I'll smoke a cigar. You know, um, I'm not one of these nuts. You know, but if I but if I had if I had cancer, I certainly know what I would need to do. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And uh, what we're doing is is uh, I'm not going to deprive myself of of all the pleasures of life by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, and I, I totally agree. I mean, because people tend to get paranoid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially uh, for for if, if you've had a lot of cancer in your family, like my father died of cancer. I have three aunts that died from cancer. Yeah. And it's and it's too just too easy to become completely paranoid and and you know basically go on week long fasts and 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 all, do all of these strategies just because you 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 fear getting cancer so much that the stress generated by that very fact tends to make you more cancer prone but yes. you know just yes. taking it easy and relaxing will do absolutely as a matter of fact in our press pulse therapy as you've already read hmm. stress management stress management is one of the key components for resolution yep. um, we found that so many cancer patients are so freaked out by their disease impending doom and death hmm. uh, puts this tremendous anxiety on themselves and the family making yeah. this person have high corticosteroids, which elevates blood sugar, which contributes yeah. to the growth of the tumor. Exactly. So um, what we do is we take patients and we bring them into 
uh, stress management by a variety of different procedures, uh, mm. which, whichever comfortable for the patient. And, and then we move them to therapeutic ketosis while at the same time managing stress. Mm. So this brings their blood sugars down into it. And the patient now begins to take charge of their own health and they understand the power, but they don't do it by themselves. You know, we have a number of professionals. There, there should be a hell of a lot more than there are, mm. but um, uh, only because most of the professionals themselves are not familiar with what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Um, but when they understand, that's why we've started this uh, global society for metabolic therapy to train uh, and familiarize large numbers of physicians, caregivers, and nutritionists into the fundamental concepts of what we're trying to do and why we're doing it and showing various to success. So we can develop protocols that will be effective for the majority of, of people with all kinds of cancers. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I mean, it's, it, it was a complete game changer for myself. I mean, I've, I've been coaching people for 20 years. First, you know, started off being just, you know, looking great naked, uh, um, going on diets and, and hard training programs. But, but it soon transitioned into more of a holistic type coaching where addressing stress is at the very foundation of, of addressing uh, the rest of the physiology so that they just become overall more healthy and have a more healthy perspective on both their foods and the training. It, it's like addressing that central aspect of their whole mental game just made everything else fall into place. Yeah. Oh, extremely important. Extremely important. Well, that's a prevention in itself. You know, that's of a powerful course. prevention. Hmm. I would just uh, also um, take the opportunity to encourage all of our listeners to, uh, to um, support your research. And uh, we will provide some links in the show notes so that they can donate and, and support you in, in, in uh, your endeavors. I mean, it's, you're doing extremely important work. And, and I'm, I'm really impressed with uh, both your papers and, and your work and listening to your podcast. And, 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 well, thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you very much. This is just way beyond uh, the, the current uh, therapies uh, offered to patients. Yeah. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And in, in the United States, you know, we have 1,600 people a day uh, dying from cancer um, uh, every day, every single day. It's about 1,650 people. And when I went to China, uh, and spoke to the mayor, they have over 8,000 people a day dying from cancer in China. Wow. And, yeah. uh, and every nation that we see, the, the numbers of deaths continue to increase. The number of new cases continues to increase. And yet on the news, we always hear all these new breakthroughs and all this kind of stuff you hear. Hmm. And, um, they, they're, not, they're, not, um, um, they're not linked to reality. Um, most of the therapies that you hear about are linked to cancer as a genetic disease, which can explain uh, the tragedy that we currently have. Um, cancer is not a genetic disease. Now, while immunotherapies can help some people, they can also facilitate quick death for a lot of other people. Why? And Why is that the most? Well, they, call, they cause hyperprogressive disease. This has been published on a number of cases. In other words, they make your cancer grow faster. Now, um, in my mind, and most of the immunotherapies are only designed to give you a few extra months of life. And, and the fact that you would even treat anyone with the remote possibility that this drug would accelerate your disease is unconscionable. Mm. So um, uh, I'm not saying people have not benefited from um, immunotherapy. 
Uh, but I'm saying that, you know, it has significant risks to accelerate the disease. This has been published in top scientific journals. And I'm not saying that traditional standards of care with radiation and toxic chemo have not cured some people of cancer. I mean, we have large numbers of so-called cancer survivors. The issue is that their bodies have paid an enormous physiological price for that so-called cure. And uh, they now become candidates for all kinds of other ailments that, that they never had, but for the fact that they were treated with toxic poisons and radiation. Yeah. So, uh, um, so uh, you don't get out of this scot-free. We're offering, uh, based on hard, the, the hard biology of the disease and understanding of the fundamental biology, an alternative route um, that could achieve uh, the same kind of end goal without the baggage of all this physiological damage to your body. Hmm. The only thing that might be required is a more active participation on the part of the patient, which does not happen in traditional standards of care. The patient hmm. is more or less just treated with large amounts of, of toxic things, and they're not asked to do much else. And as a matter of fact, they're often told, go home and eat ice cream and cake to make yourself human. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. I mean, you're you're talking about people who are clueless as the biology of the disease, and these are the people that are treating you. I mean, no wonder we have 1,600 people a day dying from cancer. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. It's like leaving the body as a battlefield and and just sort of, you know, leaving it up to the patient to to manage their own uh, yeah. health. And uh, then and then the after all this, and the cancer comes back, they they say, well, there's nothing more you can do. We can do. Hmm. Well, yeah. you've done you've done everything to put to, to put this guy at a disadvantage. Yeah, there's nothing more you can do to kill the guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the the and this is the tragedy um, yeah. uh, that we have. And and poor people, they go to the top medical schools. Uh, they all think they're getting the best care. And then you say, how does my treatment relate to Otto Warburg's central theory? And they say, who's Warburg? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, and if I if if you're if you're if you're being treated by somebody who doesn't understand the metabolic theory of cancer, I would suggest go somewhere else. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree completely. Uh, how are you met by your colleagues uh, that have another opinion, Thomas? Well, a lot of people who become indoctrinated by the gene theory kind of brush us off. Um, they, they most of the people would say, "Well, if this is so important, don't you think everybody would be doing it?" Mm. And, and the answer is no. Um, indoctrination or, or dogmatic views are very, very hard to remove from the mind. Mm. You know, when you've been told since the time you were uh, in high school that cancer is a genetic disease, you go to college and you get the same information, and then you become a, a, a physician professional or a scientist, and you're looking for gene mutations, and then someone comes along and says, this is all nonsense, and it can, it's all downstream. You, don't, you can't accept it. And mm. Any more than a person who is a devout member of a particular religion could give that up for somebody else's religion overnight. Mm. You know, it's a it's a an indoctrination of the mind, yeah. and um, and there's been a lot of prominent scientists, Nobel Prize winners, who have bought onto this gene theory, and um, uh, and when you look at the biology and you look at it from a from the from a non uh, um, uh, influenced perspective, a naive perspective, it's very clear that it's a biological disease. That's why the layperson uh, can understand this more. Than can the, than many professional scientists who have been indoctrinated. Hmm. So it's it takes time for the new concept to filter in, and it takes time for people who have used this to shout from the top the the tops of the 
the, the rooftops to say, my, my disease has been managed, I feel great using metabolic therapy. And people will say, well, what did you do? And I, well, then you, they'll tell you what they did. And then more and more people will buy onto this. Mm-hmm. And as the science becomes more and more clear to others, uh, that also helps the professional scientists re- re-gear their mind to uh, an alternative view of what cancer actually is. It's just so it's, you're touching on some very important points there. I just think uh, dogmatic thinking, and, and this is so prevalent in, in all fields. I mean, in the dietary field, you have vegans against the carnivores and everything in between. And uh, in the training field, you have, you know, high versus low volumes or whatever. And I think it's, it's, it's so, so sad to see that if everyone just tried to see, okay, what do we agree on and what's our common goal here? And that's to sort of elevate our understanding and to, to actually become better human beings and healthier human beings and then start to look for, okay, wh- where can we learn more? What's, wh- what is there to learn instead of just clinging on to your own beliefs and, and then claiming you have the answer and everyone else is wrong? It's, it just baffles my mind that, that it's, it's still such a strong, uh, like e- egotistical um quality that that just pyramid. well well you know you those of us who have you know investigated the field for decades um and understand the 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 the, the tortuous uh route that cancer has taken over the over this over the decades can we can understand how we came to this this state of mind you hmm. know when warburg first def- defined the disease as a metabolic problem um you know there had been a groundswell of of interest in what he was saying, but in all fairness, um, there were many examples where uh, people showed cancer uh, still grows even if you take away all the glucose, hmm. and they would say, "Well, therefore, you know, Warburg must be wrong um, because we can have find these cancers that can that uh, don't use his so-called um, aerobic uh, glycolysis," hmm. and that created a lot of controversy for decades. Um, but what 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 we have now defined uh, recently in a paper that just came out at the end of last year um, was that the tumor cells can also ferment glutamine, the amino acid, which was completely unrecognized. And getting back to the question, I'm, this is a fundamental process of the TCA, the tricarboxylic acid cycle. Everybody knew that you could get two ATPs from the TCA cycle. But nobody realized that that cycle becomes super uh, uh, elevated in cancer cells. Hmm. So, and that also, they take in oxygen and, and give off CO2, making it look like they were respiring. Therefore, Warburg was wrong because the cancer cell uses oxidative phosphorylation. Hmm. Wrong. We showed they're not using oxidative phosphorylation. They're using mitochondrial substrate level. That's, that's the key. That's the missing link in Otto Warburg's central theory. And it was missing link that caused tremendous controversy and, and uncertainty about, about that. And the biochemists were all barking at each other, doing all these kinds of experiments, while the geneticists ran off and said, no, cancer cell are loaded with these mutations. And these are the, this is the real cause of the disease, all these mutations. So mm-hmm. they left this argument of the biochemists who didn't seem to know what they were talking, or they knew, but they were all confused. And they ran off and genes seem much more um, approachable. You know, they're down at the molecular level. They're looking at all these kinds of things. 
and and it was like a it was like a, um, um, the Pied Piper bringing bringing the, all of these scientists off to a different direction, mm. um, you know, a, 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 a mesmerization of the brain into genes, and yeah. um, you know we began to look at this very carefully, and we went back and we started to look at. I had come up with the idea that this might be a, a mitochondrial substrate level phosphorylation phenomenon, but I didn't have all of the the details. So when I started my collaboration with Christos Shinopoulos at Simmelweiss, who was the world expert on that on those phenomena, he and I sat down and he said, absolutely, this is what's driving it. And then we published this paper showing these different pathways that could be involved. And hmm. then when we tried to target glutamine and glucose, we got the results that we would absolutely predict based on the fact that these cancer cells are fermenting uh, energy through two prime fuels, glucose and glutamine. So this now opens the provides the hard scientific backdrop for why the, the success we're getting, mm. and and now and the nuclear transfer experiments, which I summarized in a paper in my book in 2012, and then I I filled it in even more in 2015, Open Access Frontiers. I showed that the that the mutations are essentially downstream epiphenomena. They're not the drivers of the disease; they're the effects of the disease. Right. So there's clear evidence that has not been overturned that the gene mutations are essentially epiphenomena. They're irrelevant. So uh, that, that pulls the rug out from an entire field of cancer research. These guys are doing all this work. It's irrelevant. It has no relevance to the nature of the disease. So uh, does, does all the resistance against it. Because well, they can't accept it. No. <laughs> and and, and uh, they can't simply cannot accept this. And there's been no official challenge of the nuclear transfer experiments. Because I wrote every conceivable difficulty with those experiments. And how can you overturn uh, multiple top quality scientists using different experimental systems, different experimental designs, and all coming to a very similar conclusion? The mitochondria are calling the shots in the determination of cancer. Yeah. So therefore, the gene, the nucleus, is now relegated to a second class uh, operation. Hmm. It must um, be a great feeling to understand and know that you have the solution, Thomas. Well, you know, it's not, you know, to have it in the mind, it's better to see it when someone who had cancer doesn't have cancer anymore, <laughs> then, you know, yeah. and they're doing really well. And they're doing it because of the concept in which in which you uh, underlies the disease. Hmm. And we think, you know, we think we can manage the, I think we can drop the death rate of cancer by 50% in 10 years if we adopted metabolic therapy. First I was just going to ask, where, where do you see this in five yeah. to ten years? So, you well, kind of... yeah, well, I think we, if, if people come to realize, I mean, I mean, right now we continue to poison and irradiate people to make them healthy. I, mm -hmm. I don't know of any other disease in the world where we have to do this to a human being to improve their health, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, this is nuts. And, yeah. and 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 what are they trying to do? They're trying to stop the proliferation of cell growth out of control. Mm. Well, if you pull the plug on, the, nothing grows without energy. If you pull the plug on the energy, you're going to get the same end result. The cell is going to die. But right. you can do it without the toxicity. You know, and what gets me really, really upset, we published a big paper recently, provocative question. Uh, should KMT become the, the standard of care for glioblastoma? You know, I wrote in excruciating detail how the standard of care is responsible for the rapid demise of the majority of people being treated. The very process of irradiating people and treating them with, with uh, 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 toxic chemicals is contributing to their rapid demise, yeah. you know, in excruciating detail. So when patients look at this and they want to be treated with radiation and chemo, they should know that they should sign their death certificate at the, at the beginning of their treatment schedule. 
Hmm. So um, this is nuts. You don't have to do this. You, these people can live so much longer and a higher quality of life by targeting the energy metabolism. We've shown this. It's clear. It works. Yet they go like sheep to these medical schools and they get irradiated and, and treated with toxic chemicals and they end up dying in 15, less than 15 months. It's a tragedy of monumental proportion. It doesn't have to happen. And yet they, they refuse to accept the fact that they just do it because they've been doing it. They've been trained to do that. That's what they do. And they continue to do that. And that's the official dogma. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And that's a, it's a mindset. And it's incredible. And yet we have to sacrifice all of these poor people uh, as the result of this mindset. It's tragic. It's a tragedy. But, but given all of this, uh, do you see any hope? I mean, do you, do you think these glutamine modulating drugs will be commercially available within the next one year? Three years well, time. you know, the, of course, um, the problem is many of them don't work mm. um, because people want to make a lot of money uh, on yeah. these drugs. They want to patent it. And mm. you got to realize that, you know, we use the dirty drug, uh, 6-diazonoroxoleucine, which is called DON, D-O-N. Mm. And DON is, uh, has been used in the clinic years ago in humans. It worked a little bit for some, not for others. Nobody was targeting glucose when they did it. Right. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, Dawn is a dirty drug. It targets multiple different types of glutaminases. Um, and therefore, it's hard to patent dirty drugs. But if you want to live, you use dirty drugs. Sure. Okay. The patient doesn't care if you're going to make a lot of money on the drug. They just want to know if they're going to survive. Yeah. So if you have a drug that can allow the patient to survive, use that drug. I'm not saying we, we, we shouldn't try to patent a novel kind of a drug that can do what this other drug does. I'm not against this kind of stuff. Mm. I think that if we have something that works, why don't we use it? And if you can come along with something better, then patent it and we'll use that. Mm. So, um, but right now let's use something to target glucose and glutamine and the outcome should be a lot better. Right. You know, so, um, so this is the strategy. I think, you know, the bottom line is how many lives can you save and how long can you keep people alive with a quality of life? Mm. That's it. That's mm. our focus. You know, so, if we can get funds to do that, that's great. But hmm. we're not in the business of trying to patent a, if we could, we probably would. But, you know, we've got something that works and we're just trying to tell people that you can manage your disease with metabolic therapy far better than you can with standards of care. Yeah. And they said, well, where are the clinical trials? Um, where are the double blind crossover uh, to prove that you're saying what you're saying? Hmm. Well, first of all, who's going to set up the trial? Guys yeah. that have no clue about the, about the biology of the disease? You're going to have all these incompetent individuals that are going to be trying to do this and they don't know how to do it or the reason or the understanding of what they're doing. Mm. So my, my focus has been to take a few people, uh, really work out the system really well in small groups of people, show mm. that it can work, and then publish these as case reports. Right. They serve as the foundation and the framework by which we can set up larger clinical trials. Mm. So we cannot do large clinical trials and double-blind crossover makes absolutely no sense. I mean, you're doing keto here, you're doing this there, you're doing that. So that was a form of protection by the pharmaceutical companies to not allow other therapies to come in other than those that can be done by double-blind crossover. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, you know, uh, we have to get rid of that, that absurdity. So mm. your, your bottom line is how long can you keep people alive at a higher quality of life? That's the mm. bottom line. Yeah. We do, we test it out in preclinical systems first. So the physicians know that they're not going to harm anybody because we've tested it and we didn't harm or we kept animals alive longer. And mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, my, my friends in the veterinary field uh, are realizing how powerful uh, keto metabolic therapy is for curing dog cancer. 
managing dog cancer. There's a, there's a couple of nice reports out there. So this is going to be the segue into humans, I think. Once you start managing all these cancers in the dogs, how, how, why are these dogs doing so well? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can we use that too? Can we do yeah. what the dog is doing? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, no, it's, it, it's a fundamental, the biochemical problem of cancer is the same in all organisms. They're fermenters. And once you realize that, the disease becomes far less complicated than it was made out to be. Thank you so much for uh, the time, Thomas. And I really love your enthusiasm and your energy. And uh, I think that... Uh, Very inspiring. Yeah. And I think that more people need to understand this because uh, I've heard numerous times when I ask uh, patients with the cancer, what do you eat? And they're eating bread and everything else. <laughs> they haven't yeah, yeah. heard about this. So uh, Eating cake, cake and candy, uh, like you said, just to sort of reward themselves to, to get through the... Yeah, the well, the other thing, they lose a lot of weight when you're being irradiated and poisoned. Mm. Anybody would lose weight, sure. you know? Yeah. And, and then they say the best way to get weight on is eat sweets. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and why are they losing weight? They're, they're losing weight because of the treatments. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, there's a different... Therapeutic weight loss uh, from keto is very different than uh, toxic uh, pathological weight loss from being poisoned. So, um, you know, there's a very big difference here, mindset. I know Dr. Chaba Toth uh, from Paleo Medicina, and now called uh, International, yeah, can't remember the, the full, but but they um, they were actually in Norway just recently and, and um, setting up a co collaboration with a clinic here and that will focus on these types of metabolic uh, treatments. So yeah, it, it seems to be spreading now and, and I, I have high hopes for, for the future. Well, I do too, you know, because uh, we, we, we have a clear path. It just takes time for people to understand this. Hmm. Thank you for your honesty, uh, Professor. <laughs> thank so and thank you for taking your time. Have a great day, uh, Thomas. Yeah, you too. We'll, we'll let you go now. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. Da ønsker jeg en fin kveld, Bygge. Og ja, tusen takk for å ha tid til å være med på dagens samtale. Og så hører vi jo deg tilbake til deg igjen. Og for mm. deg som hører på andre bolder, så sender vi en e-post til podcast at myrevolution.no Og hører du på mentaltidbolkasten, så sender du post at mtfranktidelsen.no Og du treffer samme person. Mm. <laughs> ha en fin kveld, da. Ja, ha det bra. Ha det bra.